0: Yep, it's the Jeremy Webisodes podcast.
1: Here, Here we go. go. Here. Shh. Shh. Just because... I, I wanted to do it once. Tell me next time ahead of time. We'll plan. Did I get a shush? You stepped on
0: my... My intro. Weird. We gotta come in fast and furious cause a lot has transpired in the last like couple minutes. Ryan Hatch was here and now he's gone. Where'd he go? He left. Out he of was here. here.
1: And now he's not.
0: And now he's not here anymore. He had to go home because his girlfriend hurt herself. And so he had to go help her. Apparently she got down on the couch and couldn't get back off again, and the soup was boiling over. And they got pets that could probably, you know, feasibly get injured. You can't... You, hey, listen. You ever scald a cat? I haven't.
1: Yeah. Well, they don't like it. Well, That's so funny. They're, I, I can't imagine a cat liking being scalded.
0: No. I'm telling you there's nothing more pissed off than a scalded
1: cat. Right.
0: They just really get <laughs> a lot of noise.
1: No, I don't like being scalded. Right. I guess scalded is just as bad, if not worse.
0: Yeah, would you prefer to be scalded or scalded? (sighs) Probably scalded, actually. Scalded is just a terrible thing. You know, burns hurt. Yeah. Then you have to have some sort of a salve or a poultice, and it just gets, you know, and
1: that can get messy. I'll give you 15 seconds. I've never heard the word poultice. Is it a type of salve?
0: Yeah, well, it's something that you kind of can make out of things that you can acquire yourself, generally from nature and you form some sort of rudimentary, you know rudimentary kind of salve. Yeah. Rudimentary salve that you can apply to a burn oh, or, wait a minute. or a or a laceration. Wait
1: a minute. Who was that new voice talking way too far away from the microphone? Well, right? So that's what I was trying to Yeah, right. Exactly. Who <laughs> was that masked man talking way too far away from the microphone? <laughs>
0: You got to talk closer to the microphone. <laughs> and uh it, it, that that leads me it's it's the third mic had to be somebody, right? So tonight, for the very first time on mic, Mr. Simon Young. Simon Young. Simon Young, welcome to the show. How's it going, guys? So Simon has been working for us uh here around webs and the podcast and the distillery and been part of the whole process for how long now?
2: Oh jeez, I'd say at least three months, right? Okay, around, around that. It's got to be yeah, longer than right. three
0: months, right? It feels longer. Feel like I've known you a long time, Syme. Were yeah. you
2: here? The days just blend uh, together now.
0: Thanksgiving. I, I mean, he was here for for Bonner the that podcast. Oh, yeah. Bonner, Bonner Bonner's Rick. October,
2: right? Was October? So, wow. Almost six
0: months. Six months. Wow. That feels <laughs> a lot he more... He counted
1: current. it on his hand. Right. Both of us did. So that's why we're, we're <laughs> kindred spirits. <of> experience.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the Jeremy Webisodes podcast. Tonight is Webisode number 35, recorded Wednesday, March 24th in the year 2021. And never fear, the lava lamp is in fact burning brightly in the lab as a beacon for all the lost souls in the world May they find their way home. Ryan just found his way home. He's home. He's home right now, and so Simon Young is here in his place, tending to the soup, tending to the
1: soup. You're right. see, this is one of those deals. This is like a baseball analogy. Ryan's gonna be a little nervous here. Ryan had to go home in the DL. You bring the guy up from AAA, right? Y- younger guy, full of enthusiasm, right? Enthusiasm.
0: So we brought in. We brought in. We brought in Simon from the Farm League, and it's nice to have you here, man. It's a pleasure to be here. You've
1: kind of always been here. Well, I was going to say, Simon's been referenced many a show now, but now he gets to Now he's actually here. So welcome. Um, We can
0: get into maybe the history of Simon (laughs) uh, here at some point, but I want to first tell you what a poultice is. The actual dictionary definition of poultice. A poultice, Walter. A poultice is a soft, moist, mass of material, typically of plant material or flour, applied to the body to relieve soreness and inflammation and kept in place with a cloth.
1: Okay? So My first impression was the cloth was the poultice. No, no, no. The cloth is the cloth. The poultice is the poultice. It's the poultice. So...
0: Hopefully Ryan's at home, and if he has to apply a poultice to his burnt pussy, then we'll, we'll hope that he, nope. he knows how to make one uh, out of whatever he can get his hands on. Okay, so that being said, Ryan, you have a good time. <laughs> um, so drinking is something we like to do on the show, and i got a really cool one here, something that I've never had before. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and just tell you what it is and then we're going to talk about it so that we can actually start drinking. It's a whiskey spelled without an E. So it tells you it's not American or Irish. So where is it from, you guys? Well, let me tell you. Please do. Mexico. It's a Mexican whiskey. It's called Abasolo. And I'll tell you why we're drinking it. This is 100% ancestral corn. So it's 100% corn mash bill. What's a mash bill,
1: Joss? Um, You know, the thing. What thing? I don't know what it is on the spot. It's so funny. This is like the third episode in a row when I've
0: asked you if you know what a mash bill is.
1: A a mash bill is something you have in the barrel. A mash
0: bill is the recipe. It's the, it's what. Grains are in your recipes for your whiskey. Right. The mash bill for this one is 100% corn. Maybe you'll get that someday. So the recipe
1: recipe is 100% corn. For this one. So it's a bourbon then.
0: One of the first and foremost definitions of bourbon is that it has to be made in the United States. A lot of people think it has to be made in Kentucky. It doesn't. But it has to be made in the United States to call it bourbon. So even if they bought brand new American oak barrels, brought them down to Mexico, and aged this 100% mash bill in those. They couldn't call it bourbon because it's not made in America. I see. Um, But it could be a Mexican uh, bourbon style, which is what this is. Um, This is 100% corn mash bill, and they use sometimes... what, What I didn't... So here's what's interesting, is on the website, it says that sometimes they use new american oak and sometimes they use used american oak so um i'm assuming they do a little bit of both and then they blend the two to get what we have here the abisolo so i'm gonna crack it
1: wow Ooh. nice it never that sound never gets old mm. wow you're pretty confident you're gonna like it so okay, cool. Here, take
0: that, pass that on. Um, nice color. I would give it like a v- pretty light, amber, hay color. Right. Very, it's not very,
1: very scotchy. Color. Light colored, yeah, right? It's yeah. not super dark like a bourbon. No.
2: Caramel, caramel and uh,
0: vanilla for sure. Got a
1: very corny nose. It has a very corny
0: nose. You gotta have a corny nose, man. No you don't. You have a cute little button nose, Joss. Thanks. Elf elfish.
1: Not elfish.
0: Elvin. Very elvin.
1: Very like kind a, of like, like a chipmunk. chipmunk. Exactly. Oh, it really is. That's cute.
0: Um so you have corn all day. It's got it, t- it smells a lot like moonshine. Yeah, it does. That's that's exactly right. That's right? what it tastes smells like. Kind of like white lightning. Yeah. Okay, so... How many... Cool. Uh, okay, let's try. I'll tell you why why we're drinking this and why it's interesting to me and what what led us
1: down this rabbit hole. Ew, wow. Super smooth. That's very original so, to my palate. I don't... I haven't tasted something like that, really. It has a really... Uh, unique, super smooth. Unique finish. What's that come out... You know, uh, what is that that's coming out of your nose when you swallow it? Did you get like a... Something different. It is moonshiny. That's it tastes it tastes like really good moonshine. Yeah, it tastes like a, a young whiskey. Right. Super good, super
0: smooth. It's really good. Um, it's got a lot more probably on the alcohol side than on the oak side. Right? I'm not getting a ton of oak. No. or which means I'm not getting a ton of vanilla, a ton of cinnamon, um, a lot of corn. Okay, so, why are we drinking this? Why why are we drinking a Mexican whiskey? Looks like it's gonna be another deep dive. Ah, ah, dive, dive, dive! Ah, ah, well, I started to think about corn, okay? <laughs> And the fact that in the United States, bourbon has to be a 51% mash bill, Joss, which is something we've talked about forever, and I'm sure you probably don't know that. But in order, another thing, in order to be called bourbon, not only does it have to be made in the United States, the mash bill has to be at least 51% corn. So that's why this would qualify, the mash bill at least, for a bourbon mash bill, because that's 100% corn. So I'm thinking, okay, so the quintessential American whiskey bourbon is this bourbon that you know has to have a ton of corn in it so why why did corn become this like american thing i was wondering you know well maybe we had a lot of it it was cheap and so for whatever reason corn is like the thing that we chose to become to define american whiskey american whiskey is bourbon and bourbon has to be 51 percent corn and i started thinking okay well corn comes from Mexico. Literally, corn was first domesticated by native peoples in Mexico about 10,000 years ago. It's a form of grass. If you look at heirloom corn, like original corn, it's not these huge, big, chunky, like, cobs of corn. It looks a lot like grass with these tiny little funny-looking... The ones that you can find in a jar. Like a salad bar. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it kind of looks like that. And so, literally, corn comes from Mexico. And if you think about Mexican food, there's a lot of corn in it. M- you know, masa. masa, I mean, the tortilla, the what goes around in a, t- a tamale. I mean, a lot of corn in Mexican cuisine. There's a lot of corn in Mexico. So I'm thinking, why, when they were choosing uh, something to distill, didn't they go corn? Why isn't there this really, really old tradition of distilling corn mash in Mexico. Why is it agave? Why is it all about agave? And, it, and it, it led me to where we are right now, drinking a Mexican whiskey. This is the first one that has been imported into the United States. It is um, kind of a brand new thing. And um, I'm going to talk it, a little bit it about that. Where's it from in Mexico? I don't know, Simon. Does it say on the bottle where um, this
1: one specifically is from? Well, yeah. it's important because if it's the first one, they're kind of the leaders, right? I mean, this is—I'm—I'm um, I'm very impressed, Jeremy, with the findings of this. It's very interesting, right? Yeah, you would it, think that
0: Mexico would have a it makes, long tradition yeah, of distilling corn. Yeah. It says it's uh, distilled in Hilo Tepec de Abasolo, Estado de Mexico. Okay, cool, Hilo Tepec. I will tell you right now, there are a lot of old Mexican words that I'm going to attempt to pronounce tonight that I am sure that I'm going to absolutely destroy. So please forgive me. Um, there's a lot of Zs and Xs and stuff in these right. and Ls and Ts and a distinct lack of vowels. And uh, um, so if I struggle, I apologize. But so corn comes from Mexico, not a huge tradition of distilling it down there. Well that was wild to me With, so then i started to research where does the distilling tradition in mexico come from and why is it tied to the agave plant so 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 closely and caveat here there this is a, dis, a very fluid discussion that is still very much uh debated there is a, a lot of conversation right now about the distilling tradition in Mexico. And there's some new things coming to light. Um, uh, there is a uh, a lot of people right now that are saying that distilling in Mexico predates any of the colonial stuff. Um, so, but what I'm gonna talk about is a very, very interesting connection to the colonial thing um, that I didn't know and a lot of people would never connect to Mexico. And what I am going to tell you right now is going to blow your mind. I know you're a guy that likes mezcal, Simon, right? And you you would say maybe that you prefer mezcal over tequila? Oh yeah, 100%. What if I told you that there is an argument that the entire distilling tradition in Mexico is tied to the Philippines? Um I could I could totally see it. There's a uh, there's
2: a, a type of tea, a type of black tea that reminds me of mezcal 100%. It's called Lapsang Souchong. It's uh it's it's this fermented black tea that is insanely smoky. It 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 tastes like mezcal without the uh, the alcohol.
0: Very part. interesting is that and is that that's Korean
2: tea? It's it's Chinese. Okay. And I feel like all Asian heritage kind of comes from Well, China here's the thing. In some some part I mean,
0: we're covering a lot of the globe here. Well, and and absolutely, and it's extremely interesting. So uh, here's a quick history about distillation. One of the most important types of stills is the Olympic still. That's the type type of still that they use to make tequila, um, whiskey. Um, That still was developed by the Arabs, and they were not using it to make alcohol. They were using it in alchemy. They were trying to be able to combine elements and basically trying to create gold. But in so, in in the search of tr- trying to find gold, they created all sorts of other stuff. And basically, um, chemistry and the whole science of chemistry is born from alchemy. The guy's name, there, specifically, there was a guy Jabir ibn Hayan, and he wrote a thing called the Jabirian Corpus. And in the Jabirian Corpus, he out he draws a stilt and how it's used. And then that book was disseminated out throughout the Arab world, and it made its way to Turkey and the Moors, and the Moors conquered the world and took it to Spain and everywhere else. And so everybody had access to this book and these drawings and the still. And non-Muslims realized very quickly that you could use it for other stuff other than trying to make gold and they started dumping... They were primarily fermenting wine. And so they were dumping their wine into the still and making brandy. It was one of the very, very first things that came out the other end of a still. So a lot of people think that the Spanish brought distillation to Mexico, which would be pretty, you know, feasible. You know, there's a lot of Spanish influence <laughs> in Mexico, obviously. Yeah. However there is a very compelling argument being made that it wasn't, in fact, the Spanish colonials that brought over distilling tradition to Mexico, but was, in fact, the Filipino sailors that settled in Mexico that came across as part of the Spanish galleon trade. In the 16th century, there was a thing called the Spanish galleon trade. And the Spanish galleon trade was specifically two ships that owned the seas and they owned the route between Mexico and the Philippines and it was a trade route and literally they it was they they kept it down to two ships let me see if i can find it really quick
1: uh, quick uh, quick aside yeah that's a pretty long route yeah they have two ships covering that much ground you got probably some pretty good firepower on those boats they were huge There were only two galleons.
0: One sailed from Acapulco to Manila with some 500,000 pesos worth of goods, spending 120 days at sea. And the other sailed from Manila to Acapulco with some 250,000 pesos worth of goods, spending 90 days at sea. Wow.
1: Yeah, but that's not exactly like a carnival cruise. No. No. Right there's no swimming pool and like Exactly not not
0: shrimp buffet. It was a really rough voyage. And so by the times they had you know and they they had um uh commissioned some Filipino sailors that, you know when they when they go there and when I say commissioned probably a lot of times not on their own volition. Not under their own volition. In fact, the term getting shanghaied comes from guys would get drunk in a bar and they would wake up on a ship destined for Shanghai. And they're 100 miles out at sea at that point. And it's, you can't get off. It's like, go to work, boy. So you didn't want to go to a bunch of sailor bars and pass out because you might end up getting put to work. So that was happening to, to people in the Philippines. They're winding up on the Spanish galleons. By the, and the voyage sucked. By the time they got to Acapulco, which is like a paradise, they were like, we're out of here. So a lot of the Filipino sailors jumped ship and ended up in this part of Mexico and have put down roots. And if you go down to Acapulco now, there's a, a very, very deep Filipino culture there. <clears throat> the Filipinos had been distilling coconuts for centuries. So they brought this coconut brandy and the, these little portable stills with them when they jumped ship to, the, to this part of Acapulco, which is right next to Jalisco, which is where, where mezcal and, and tequila come from. So they jump ship, they bring their stills, and they bring this coconut brandy technology with them. Everybody loves it. Tastes great. Well, what happens when we run out of coconuts? We got all these maguey plants everywhere, these agave plants. Let's see what we can do. And boom, 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 the whole process of making this coconut rum um, became the process of making mezcal. Isn't that interesting? It's yeah, very
1: interesting. So, so you have a, you know, so you have an Arab, a Mexican, a Filipino, and a Swede on a ship. Yeah, and one guy says to the other, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right." So you have an Arab, a Mexican,
0: and a Swedish guy walk into a bar. But uh, yeah, so very interesting that the mezcal tradition, the Mexican distilling tradition, is tied to the Philippines is one of the arguments let's let's put it that way um again not a whole lot of information out there about why they weren't distilling corn um back to your original right point yeah because tonight we're not drinking mezcal (laughs) we're not (laughs) drinking coconut rum um But the question was corn, and then I started to try to pursue the idea of the Mexican distilling tradition, and I really can't figure out why they weren't distilling corn. The only thing I could think of was they were too busy eating it and putting it in everything else. They didn't have it to sit – they weren't trying to distill it. They they were eating every last kernel. They
2: weren't letting it sit around.
1: They weren't letting it sit around. now. But what's interesting is that was – What was 16th, 17th century before that? We're talking about the first one imported in 2000 and whenever they started this in the last few years. So it's not like it took them 50 years to do it. Right. And we're talking about four or five, six hundred years to start doing.
0: Right. And so. Is that correct? Let me. Yeah. That we yeah. there's If you go to the liquor store, I mean, I, I, I to my lava lampers out there that are looking to kind of do some experimental drinking and, and like to join us on this journey, I challenge you to try to find um, a Mexican corn spirit. Um, this Abisolo is literally one of the only ones I can find. Now, let me just clarify that it, it's not that they have never distilled corn in Mexico. In a very very small Simon, region, I
1: want, I want another sip of it, please.
0: Um, in a very very small region of uh, Chiapas, they make this stuff called Posh, P-O-X, and Posh is corn based. Um, it's yeah. it's low proof, it's thirty eight percent alcohol, and a lot of times it's infused. Um, with uh, different flavors, and sometimes they spike the ferment with sugarcane, so it's not a straight corn mash bill. Sometimes it's a corn sugarcane mash bill. Um, So there is a tradition,
1: um, but pretty much only in Chiapas, of distilling corn. Wow. I guess they found out early to call it, to pronounce it posh and not pox. Yeah,
0: pox, especially
1: in the 16th century. Probably wasn't hip. (laughs)
0: Um, <laughs> right. It wasn't the thing to say. Yeah. Hey,
1: <laughs> hush on the pox. <clears throat>
0: Here's another kind of very interesting thing about this abasolo that we're drinking right now. What do you think? Do you
1: like it? I do like it. I was very surprised at the taste. I think you nailed it. It's like it tastes like really good, kind of moonshine.
0: A little it's, smoother because it, it does smoother. have some oak. I'll tell you right now, I would rather drink this than the than the Jameson that we drank last week. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, what are you, what are your thoughts, Simon? It's pretty smooth. It's uh, it's really sweet, very sweet it's corn, very, very very sweet. I'm really now after like in I'm well into my second pour. I'm getting a distinct tortilla aftertaste. That very like that roasted corn aftertaste.
1: Who doesn't like that?
0: In fact, that last one that was super corn tortilla y That was cool. Um, let me tell you something that's very interesting about this uh, Abisolo that would probably tell you why that's the thing they are using a process in so in American whiskey making you take dried corn you grind it up into a flour you mix that with boiling hot water to extract the sugars from it and then you throw yeast in there once it's cooled down a little bit to to convert the sugars into alcohol All right, you use dried corn In this, they are using a a process. Now, I'm going to probably mess it up. But they're using a a process called nixtamalization. Yeah, that was very well played. Nixtamalization. What is nixtamalization? Nixtamalization is the process for the preparation of corn or other grain in which the corn is soaked and cooked in an alkaline solution, usually lime water, sometimes aqueous potassium carbonate washed and then hold so in the layman's term nixtamalization is what you do to corn before you make masa or tortillas you soak it in lime water it bloats and that's what hominy is so and then you grind that and you make masa in the south you call it grits Right? right? cornmeal that's how you make cornmeal You go through the process of nixtamalization. Cornmeal, grits, a big part of the American diet in the American South. The whole process comes from Mexico. Nixtamalization makes hominy. Then you mash that up, and that's what you make tortillas out of. So the difference of this Abisolo whiskey that we're drinking tonight between this and an American whiskey is we use dried corn. They (laughs) are nixtamalizing. Is that the
1: word? I think you got it.
0: Nixtamalizing the corn first. So they're making hominy and then grinding that up for their ferment. Okay? More about Abasolo. First of all, they're using a very specific kind of corn. Here we go, right off their website. Mexico is the birthplace of corn. Approximately 10,000 years ago, it appeared in Mesoamerica. They were... It was like one of the first cultivated crops, okay? Specifically, the kind they're using here is this 10,000-year-old heirloom strain called cacahuacintle. Cacahuacintle. And then they turn it into hominy and they make it into this, and that's why it has that really kind of tortilla-y aftertaste. Here's the process. Here's what it looks like. See, it goes from regular corn kernel to a nixtamalized corn kernel.
1: A lot of steps. Right. A lot of graphics.
0: Malting, mashing, double distilled, beautiful copper. Picture of their still on the website. And then they barrel age it. Um, The obtained corn distillate is matured in new roasted and used oak casks in an open warehouse with a light roof and no walls where the temperature fluctuations and changing conditions provide a unique aging profile. That's because the changing of temperatures causes the barrels to suck in the alcohol and blow it back out again. So it gets cold, the barrels absorb it, and it gets hot, and they push it back out again. And that's where you get all that interaction and all that
1: awesome oakiness. Dumb question. No walls of, would assume outside. Yeah, it's like kind of, yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> well, the picture they were, it was inside. How do you know it's inside? I would assume. It's not. There's no walls. I mean, how come someone just couldn't come in there and just take a be- barrel or two? Are you suggesting we take a little trip down to Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to have some pretty tight security of a no-wall distillery. No-walls is a dangerous move. Guess they're pulling it. I guess they are, Joss. But
0: if you're suggesting what I think you are, wink, wink, <laughs> I got my passport in the drawer right over there. So, <laughs> um, No, I like it. I really do. I think it's it's cool. Um, Great other bottle than that too. posh, the, the fact that they're not distilling. And here's what's funny about posh is it was like it's literally posh was like just happening in like little indigenous communities. So posh, was distilled by the Mayans. So they were doing it a long time ago. A few years. And they so there is a tradition of corn distillation, again, just to make that clear, in Mexico. Um, but it was specifically only in this one region, this Chiapas region, and the Mayans in that area were making this stuff out of corn. And it was purported to have like transcendent qualities. Sometimes a lot, you'll, like what you'll hear, absinthe. Uh, described as, the Mayans had a saying when they were drinking it. Said, "I'm another you, you are another me." And how it was pronounced in Mayan is "inlak ek halaken," which means "I'm another you, you're another me." And this is still used in some communities as a day-to-day greeting, but especially when drinking posh. Instead of saying salud, one would raise their glass and say in lak ech, and then your buddy would say halakhen. I'm another you, you're Lovely. another me. <laughs> Which, and, and so, uh, for hundreds of years, Chiapas natives were the only ones to distill posh, as the Mexican government looked the other way on the unregulated, supposedly mind-altering beverage. But in 2012, the state granted certification and allowed these like small communities to start doing it and possibly marketing it. And we may, at some point, see posh here in the United States, but not yet. Abisolo is this, the, the only corn distillate that I have been able to find from Mexico. So, again, I challenge the Lava Lampers out there to find
1: their own. But I'm, I'm feeling uh, if I have one more of these, it is truly a mind-altering beverage. It's changing. My mind's being altered as we speak. I like it.
0: <laughs> I like it. I would it's rather good. drink this than Mezcal. Mezcal. As I've stated before, I'm not a huge mescal fan. What's the proof? It's a good question. What is the proof, Simon? Like 200% 86 proof. 86. Oh, I'm mellow. It's a perfect yeah. whiskey. 43%. Totally mellow. It's Jack Daniel's yes, once again. Jack Daniel's. Which I always think is funny. You know, like Jim Beam, for instance, is 85. The fact that Jack Daniel's is 86 is always funny to me, and when anybody else ever has an 86 proof, to me, they're always like they just they pick Jack Daniels. It's like okay, there's our there's the bar. Right. Let's do that. That's the bogey. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's go for that one. <laughs> right. That's the vector. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, it's good. Good find. Cool, good right? Cool. Yeah. That's a, uh, I think that was a cool addition is, to the. Is the it shelf. hard to find? I found it at Bevmo. It's like a forty dollar bottle. Yeah. Super it's doable. Normal
2: normal price.
0: Right. Nice. I think it's a great bottle. It's got a nice etching or a. Yeah, it's, it's got a nice square.
1: inlay. Yeah, it's good.
2: Yeah, the brown the brown glass is is nice. It's
1: nice. Sure. That's a winner, Jared. Good call. Cool. It is. It's really good. Another one. Yet another one, which is uh, true with a lot of these good alcohols we've been drinking. Like you can't do anything with that but neat.
0: I, I think you, this you, is really good neat. Maybe some ice.
2: Maybe ice. It, but it'd be too sweet with ice.
1: I, I feel like. You think a couple cubes would like accentuate the sweetness? It would make it too sweet, yeah. It might. Just like you, son. That's got a cool a breeze. A make it a little too sweet. Let me see this bottle one more time.
0: Oh, yeah. It's definitely got that Torch... Torcheezy? It's definitely got that tor- <laughs>
1: tortilla chip aftertaste. Are you not getting that? I, I After you said it, I'm getting it. Especially, I get more chip than uh, tort, actual corn tortilla. Yeah, so, as soon as you said tortilla
0: chip, it's I. You can see if, that if now, I'm right? drinking it
2: and thinking tortilla yeah, chip, I, I definitely for get sure. It, for sure.
0: Um, nixtamalized according to ancient traditions, ancestral corn whiskey, copper pot distilled, crafted using the finest caca corn. Cultivated over generations for its distinctive flavor, resulting in a rich and smooth whiskey. There's a dog in Mexico. In fact, the national dog is called a Cholo Itzquincle, and it is a hairless dog. Have you ever seen them? Those are uh, pretty cool-looking dogs. They're really black. They're black. Cool. They're, black they're like yeah, blackish gray. Yeah. they're really hairless. Yeah, looking kind of like a um, sphinx. A lot like a Sphinx, which again is very interesting if you think about the depictions in um, ancient Egypt of the Sphinx and the comparison between it and the eat Squinkly and the fact that both cultures were building pyramids, wild, right? It makes you think that the oceans were not so void of human travel as we might have thought they were prior to people like Christopher Columbus. It's pretty clear that the very first man on Earth walked to the edge of the ocean and said, hmm, I wonder what's on the other side. What floats? Yeah. And before they were even crafting boats, when a big clump of vegetation floated by, there was a couple of them that swam out to it and jumped on it and said, let's see where this thing floats to. So... Of course, it didn't go... Real well for those first folks probably. Yeah, you never know. I mean it's it's very interesting. There's a, a really I'm cool
1: not riding a kelp paddy from Acapulco to
0: the Philippines. But I I'm not gonna say it's never been done. That's all I'm saying. It's wild. Especially in today's It's not even Wi Fi. Yeah.
1: What do you do for Nav, that? No. GPS now. Yeah. yeah they had a no they, ways. They generally had you know the moon, the sun. A pig. Some a stars. Star. Yeah. A pig?
0: You know. There's a lot of things you can do with a pig on a dark starry night. On a kelp bed out at sea. I'm just telling you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got one more thing I'd like to talk about real quick. As we get further into this bottle. <laughs> as we Finish. kill this bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> some really interesting stuff has just come to light, you guys. You like it in the fact that some pretty big time people in the government and in defense and in offices are starting to all come out and be like yeah there's aliens we've known about it for a long time and i don't know how i feel about that i don't know how i feel about it all of a sudden that everyone's just like oh yeah no totally there's aliens like what do you mean like, all of a sudden, it's, it's cool, and we're all just supposed to be like, oh, yeah, sure, there's fucking aliens? And they've been here? It's and, the- like, you knew about it? Now, we all... Because it was like, there was always the people that said there was aliens, but I always thought those people were crazy. <laughs> right? Turns out. And now, like, last week, the f- former... Uh, what is this guy's name? Luis something. Elzonado... What's his name? Oh yeah, Luis Elizondo. He was a big guy in the DoD Department of Defense. Just came out and said, "Yeah, fully aliens, <laughs> and we've been aware of it and tracking them." I mean, you've seen you've seen all those countless
2: videos of just the random objects flying in the air, like
0: with uh with the fighter fighter jets. And yeah, stuff. right. You're like what what the fuck is that? Right, you know. And a lot of that stuff just got declassified. Yeah. all The fighter jet stuff
2: where they're like... All the dudes are filming with their iPhones going, what is that? And then going, whoa, it's
0: gone. We can't go that fast. No, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Um, And what it's sounding like to me is that there's that. There's those encounters and that maybe possibly there was like some recovered crash site stuff like maybe some of that area 51 stuff is true yeah
2: someone's definitely gotten probed for sure man well <laughs> that
0: and that, that like we have possibly recovered some like alien yeah
2: a hundred percent a hundred percent
0: it's sounding possibly like you know what it is sound like to me is that there's no direct contact like we don't have alien bros that we're communicating with up in space that we've maybe found some crash site stuff we've recovered some tech and we've continued to witness activity yeah and what's happened is that we're getting closer and closer to being able to kind of reverse engineer some of the tech that we found in the crash sites and now we're getting closer to being able to understand what it is that we're actually seeing out there when we're seeing it yeah i still i don't believe that there's necessarily any direct contact but that we are, we have, like I say, we we're, The lines are getting a lot closer to being connected. Yeah, yeah. Or the well, dots. Well, I how about all
1: these people that have been saying there's aliens forever, and they've just get denied, and like now they're like, "Are you kidding me? I've been telling you, I've been saying it." There's I've that guy on the History Channel with the big it. hair. Looks exactly <laughs> like Coach Baseball. Ancient
0: aliens. About. Yeah, that guy is a wild man. And now, what about the singer of uh, Blink One Eighty Two? He's well, all into it, man. Yeah, what's that guy's name? Shit, he's he's part of it. So they're starting this um this thing. Let me see if I can figure out what it's called here. It is called the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, T T S A A S. And the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, Tom big- DeLong. Right. Sorry to interrupt. Right, no, that's right, Tom DeLong. And so they're starting these agencies and what they're going to use these agencies for is to disseminate this information out into society to normalize it. Say, hey, here's some of this tech we got and here's where it comes from and kind of open it up to society and so that maybe – you know, it can be picked up and carried and taken by your average garage hacker. Or who knows? But to kind of like more mainstream some of this stuff we have acquired, and also to maybe make us all more aware of that there are these encounters happening. Maybe we should all be more aware of it and realize that it is a thing, so that we can report on it more on like an accurate level. If we're all aware that it is a thing, then we're more likely to be like, yo. I saw I saw something yeah. as opposed to trying to double think yourself and be like, whoa, I don't know. Now that we know, okay, there is shit. Big guys up in the Department of Defense are are, you know, signing off on the fact that there there are these encounters happening. So now maybe we don't have to second guess when we see a cloud move or we see a, a flying saucer yeah, or right. something. You know,
1: is there a live alien on this planet? I don't I don't necessarily well. That's that's. I don't, that's doubt, a, I don't you, doubt it, Joss.
0: There could possibly be a live alien. Are you are you asking? Do we have like an alien well, that's I mean, working for the CIA? No, no, no. no. That,
1: but I mean, like the whole Roswell, the whole uh, Fifty Seven, all that. Is, I
0: don't know that at Area Fifty Seven. I don't think that's what it's think It's Heinz Fifty Seven. Uh, no, no, it's
1: not Heinz Fifty Seven.
0: Wait, wait, Joss.
2: You're you're telling me that you don't believe that everyone's a reptilian lizard? Oh my goodness!
1: For what is they? this? And they live in stacks. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I my thing. See, I'm so torn with it because I don't want to be too stubborn and go one way or the other. But with something like an alien, the fact that it's never, ever, ever been proven—well, it kind of is now. Is what what's happening? I know. I, I I have read some of that, but it's man. I I need to see some video evidence to... to, to I mean, just, the people that... I'm not even saying it's... No, I'm not you. You that haven't seen
0: or. any of that video evidence
1: from, like, the, the, the F-16s and stuff where there's... Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting shit out there. Don't get me wrong. Did I just say evidence? Uh, yeah, it's getting a little slurry. Poss- possibly.
0: <laughs> Listen to some of the people they're putting together in this... This Stars Academy. A 25-year veteran of the CIA's Directorate of Operations a Lockheed Martin Program Director for Advanced Systems at Skunk Works, and a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. And then this DOD guy. that These are not, that's, like, that's guys that, yeah. you know... That's some heavy hitters right, right. there, it sounds yeah. like. These aren't guys that developed, like, Nintendo games. Right. These are
1: guys that were out there monitoring the skies. And, and 40 years ago, they would have been assassinated... For talking about stuff. On the, on this the stuff. DL, and never been heard of again. Right, because
0: they were second-guessing themselves at that point. They're like, what have well, I seen? Yeah. Maybe I didn't. But now that they're all being able to talk to each other, and they're like, oh, shit, you saw that? Yeah, no, we were seeing that same stuff, too. And they're all being able to kind of, like, you know, open the book to one another, and it's all starting to coalesce. Oh, wow, you were witnessing this. We've been witnessing this. These departments over here, we were witnessing this. Wow, yeah, okay, now, yeah, it's pretty confirmed. We've all seen the same shit. There's aliens wild right at the same time we're getting ready to kind of ramp up our space program you know elon musk is getting on board we're getting ready to set out into space we're going back to the moon yeah. we're, we're, you know we're on mars with robots right now we're doing stuff um i don't know it's i it's a brave new world man Elon's well,
2: trying to cultivate
0: Mars, actually. We're going to be driving Teslas across the face of Mars by the end of 2027, well, cl- I think.
1: Clearly, Mars is not Maybe the little... alien hangout. We're, we're bringing the Lincoln over
2: to Mars. That's Yeah. It. yeah. We're going to take the boat.
1: <laughs> yeah, no aliens enjoy Mars, evidently, because we haven't really had any encounters there that I've read or seen about.
0: Well, They're okay. not seeing a bunch of aliens on Mars? I don't think so.
1: People... Are, there there the, was the moon, water there was water there or though, the moon no aliens go to the moon cuz we've been to the moon and we didn't see and any aliens see, there there was when no, we were no, there. no there was no towns no no you know condos or local pubs or we haven't seen a lot of alien life in space right every time we see an alien form it's been it, not only in our hemisphere but like by a, like a us air pilot yeah, they move fast. They get the hell out of here. They live far away. They're a stick and mover yeah, kind of they, they people. they stick and move. They're hunting and gathering. All right. Isn't that interesting, though? The deeper we go in space, the less we see them. It's always like in, like, Oklahoma. Like, or yeah. like. Right. Why? Well, that's true. <laughs> We're constantly seeing Have you ever thought about that? Like, we don't
0: see them in space. We don't see them on the moon. We see them in the cornfields of
1: Oklahoma. Yeah. What like are you doing Reno, in the... Nevada. Like, you know what I mean? It, it, there's a lot of... The sky's over... The sky... S- uh, Sonoma. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, with aliens, sky is not the limit. Like, if we can go... The farther we leave here, the less we see them. A lot of aliens in Sonoma. <laughs> no, it was that place out
0: in Arizona or whatever. Like, uh, what Rockwell? Scottsdale. Yeah, no, know what that's not even not Scottsdale that. Sedona yeah Sedona <laughs> a lot of aliens in Sedona maybe in Scottsdale maybe they like the heat old people maybe they're all old well think about it it's an ancient society
1: they go to Scottsdale because it's easy on your joints right. Yeah, right no one I, I don't think there's ever been a setting though on Palm Beach right maybe I think not, there is not a whole lot of
0: aliens in North Dakota though I tell you it's tough no. on the joints the winters there are yeah, rough, rough.
2: Speaking of uh, Palm Beach, have you, have you seen the, the madness going on in Florida right now? There's a lot of people in Florida partying I mean, there's, right a, there's a lot of people partying in Florida. No masks. No, I, I, a lot of twerking. Oh, gosh. There's not a lot of masks. I guess in, uh, in South They East. wear these
0: things that look like masks they are just not on their face. <laughs> <laughs> While they're
1: twerking. It's wild. A lot of flesh moving. A lot of flesh. Barely... Aliens don't seem to like flesh either. Right? They're not a big clothing. No, I always see aliens depicted nude. No, excuse me. I, I, I got completely wrong. They're people of little clothing. Yeah, they're super... They're total exhibitionists. Like, hey, check it out! Yeah.
0: Aliens, so weird. Why are you always naked? The, if If you could fly at the speed of light, would you wear pants? I don't know that I would wear multiple pants. I think at that point, I would be smart enough to just wear uh, a pants a uh, uh, pants. yeah, and pants right cause. Too many pants slow you down. If I'm moving at the speed of light, I'm clearly only wearing one pant. That's too much friction. Well, maybe that's what it is. When maybe. you're moving
1: that quick, you can't have a whole maybe lot of pants. Maybe it's too much yeah. friction. Uh, another thing with aliens is no, none of them enjoy sports. I've never seen a single encounter with an alien with like a New York Mets hat on. Their heads are too big. They got that bulbous. It's
0: bulbous. So it doesn't fit a hat good.
1: Well, okay. I get. Right? it. It's rough. But the jersey, like would, a, the jersey would fit. They're very skinny bodies. It I just, think an I guess, alien would be money in
0: like a in like a, a top hat. Think how tall an alien in a top
1: hat seriously. would
2: be, dude. Yeah, when I imagine a, an alien wearing a hat, I just like imagine like your standard New York Yankees hat, New or, or like a
1: fitting. toque. Yeah, and like like a like a wife beater. You know what toque Like toque, white stained Tim- shirt, Timberland, like a Timberland <laughs> boot, Timberland boot, like an UGG boot. Uh, like an
0: UGG boot, a white stained T-shirt, like a wife beater, and and a full bl- and like a a ski hat. Yeah, like a skull cap. A skull cap comes down great on a knobby alien yeah, hat, on forehead. A bulbous head, forehead. When you have a forehead like Tyra Banks, you gotta wear a big hat. You know what I mean? It's kind of a five head.
1: Tyra Banks. It's more
0: than just a forehead.
1: You know what I mean? Oh, here we go. What? <laughs> It's all five, bro. I'm just saying, you don't see a lot of aliens in space. You see aliens at um, 30,000 feet over Sedona. Yeah. Park City occasionally. Oh, God.
0: The Mormons love an alien. I think they're probably all have. That's where they've been this whole time. Oh. They've been out in Salt Lake City in that tabernacle doing alien shit. <laughs> Do we have a big Mormon listenership, you think? (laughs) Not anymore, guys. I'll (laughs) tell you that right now. Yeah. I'm scared. I don't want to be probed. Right? And I don't want Few people do. I don't want to like be subjugated. And I don't want to be made into Soylent Green. Right. And or, or like, you know, you know, serve how to serve man is a cookbook.
1: Right, right. I don't want to be in that cookbook because I'm succulent. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, you got a lot of. My grandpa used to say you got a lot Mar- of meat on the hoof. Yeah, marbling, a lot of
0: marbling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Ryan said, I crisp up nice. I'm telling you, I'm like a lechon, getting back to that Philippines. Put
1: that aliens put <laughs> Jer on a spit with some honey and some garlic. Oh and-
0: God, <laughs> I haven't been spit roasted since Boy Scouts. So keep me away from that because I don't want that
1: bottom line, bottom line, do you believe do you believe in aliens? both of you?
0: Yes,
2: there's got to be a terrestrial uh, life form ar- around for I sure. agree yeah. if, if if it's if, hard
0: to believe there's not if, if the universe is infinite, then there's an infinite opportunity for there to be other life forms other than ourselves. And I think it's pretty arrogant to think that they we're the only people that ever happened in infinity right so. It's mathematically unlikely for us to be the only intelligent species in an infinite universe. Is all I'm saying. Especially anywhere near Sedona. So keep your eyes on the sky, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for being here. Share the podcast with your friends, coworkers, and family. And let us hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, and at the webpage, websworldwide.com. And we look forward to seeing you right here next week on the Jeremy Webisodes podcast.